Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And today we have guest Dr. Cassandra LeClaire. She's an author, professor, communications consultant, and a motivational speaker. She has a new book telling her gripping story of achieving healing and wholeness following years of abuse accompanied by a heart-rendering secrecy and shame. And her book is called Being Whole, Healing from Trauma and Reclaiming My Voice. And it's about picking up broken pieces and figuring out how to move forward with your life when it feels shattered. We've all been there. Oh, absolutely. And Christy, you actually read the book and actually saw the TED Talk. So you have found inspiration in this, right? I did. I watched the TED Talk. It was sent to me by a friend after watching it. I sent it, uh, I sent it over to Mark. And I actually I did, watched it too. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I did read the book. I found that the book was really, um, I think, good for anybody to read, regardless of... Uh, the storyline, you know, mm -hmm. in your life. I think that it's a, a great story for anybody to read. So welcome to our show. That was a big lead in. Yeah, that was, well, <laughs> we actually contacted her and she agreed to do the show yeah. with us. So, and really it was about that anybody, after you read this, you found that anybody could relate to this. I think so. No matter, uh, no matter where they're at, right. right? So again, thank you, Dr. LeClaire, for coming on the show, talking about your new book. And let's, let's kind of jump in there and, and see what kind of started this for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled listening to the introduction because what you just said in terms of you, you felt like it could reach anyone, that's what the whole goal to me was. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> My purpose in writing it, honestly, this wasn't a book I ever planned to write. I was going about my life. I felt like I was doing pretty well. And then I had, you know, some experiences that just kind of, shook me a little bit. I don't know how, how much you want me to get into it, but I, I felt like I was kind of spiraling and I started journaling and paying attention to things and trying to look at, you know, all these patterns I've had throughout my life. And I got to a place where I realized that I was stuck in a lot of cycles that I was, I was doing to myself or patterns that I was, you know, holding myself in. And so when I started to kind of think about what that looked like I, I thought I, I couldn't be the only one who felt this way and oh, so wow. the book was really the, that's what the book is it's just like I, I felt like I can't be the only person who has had these thoughts and felt, felt these things and so I'm just going to tell other people that hey this is what it looked like for me because maybe that's what it looks like for other people too well what was the catalyst that kind of started this thought I was doing pretty well in my life. I was back at work. I had had a, an illness that had sidelined me for my career, but I was back at work doing great. And then my family, we were, we were hit by a drunk driver. Um, oh. We were coming home from a movie and we were hit by a drunk driver. And so the, we walked away. We, we were not physically injured in any way, thankfully, but that was the catalyst that really just took me to this place where I was scared and I was panicky and I was anxious. And at first I thought, you know, okay, maybe this is the crash, but I knew at the same time it really wasn't. Really? And so what happened in that, in that moment is it took me back to a place of being afraid that I couldn't put away any, any longer. And it brought back the memories of, I endured sexual abuse at the hands of a family friend um, during my childhood mm -hmm. and those are memories and experiences that I had long pushed away tried to disassociate from tried to overcome pretend they didn't matter you know all the things 
And after that car crash, I couldn't anymore. It was like my body just couldn't keep up with trying to push those things away because it had had one more, you know, one more crisis or trauma that I was just was, I felt too broken. And so those memories wouldn't stay in my background anymore. They were constantly coming up and just triggering all of these emotions. And I felt like I was falling apart. And so the book came about because I knew that I had to deal with this. Otherwise, I wasn't ever going to be able to recover and live a life that I want to live. Well, your book did a great job of talking about the fear factor that even though you didn't remember, you were always on the verge of something. Is that correct? Always. Yeah. Can you explain that? Because I felt that very powerful because one of the reasons why I think the TED Talk was such a big deal for me was that it resonated that yours was a car crash. A lot of people are going through this for different reasons from their childhood Mm -hmm. or adulthood or whatever of traumas that the pandemic is their car crash. Right. I found that that part of your book was really powerful because we've all known people, I think, that we didn't understand why they were behaving the way that they were behaving or uh-huh. that reacted to you in a way that you didn't understand. And your book was like, wow, okay. Even They may not remember what happened, but what's going on is, and even in ourself, right? What's going on? That made so much sense to me turning the pages in that book and i think that's that's what it is is so often we're walking around with these heightened emotions that we don't know why or where they come from and so they've just become part of us we stop recognizing those little things that trigger us or those little things you know and so a lot of times for me it was it was that i seemed like i was maybe overreacting to a situation you know that's one Mm -hmm. way it would come out but so that's one way it would come out externally. And so the thing I think that's important for me to, to say too is that by the time it would come out externally for me, like in a situation like that where maybe I overreact or something, it was, it was like 10 times that inside of me in terms of like a feeling of anxiety or fear or frustration or stress or whatever emotion it was, whatever emotion I was having, I was feeling it like times 10. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, and so it was just like even, and there's some research, you know, even with with trauma and your nervous system and things like that, but I really do, it felt, and I mean, that's where I can tell how how much I've progressed even just in the time since I've written the book too, is that I would walk around and it's like I would feel physically heightened even, you know, like almost on the verge of like a panic attack or on the verge of snapping somehow, mm-hmm. even when I was, even when I was happy, like that's just how I felt. So then you just start to feel like that's just how life is. It's just as stressful all the time, or this is just what it is. And I was like getting really high strung, more and more high strung. And like now that I've kind of released some of that fear surrounding, you know, talking about my traumas and figuring out what I was bringing those situations I don't feel that way inside anymore so it's not just the external way I communicate it's even how I physically feel I I gotta say that's fascinating because as you were sitting there the thing that got me was is that you were feeling this 10 times worse inside was it because you thought you were giving the appropriate reaction or that you were tampering it down whatever reaction you gave on the outside. So like if you thought somebody thought you were overreacting, you were actually thinking that you were underreacting by the way you felt on the inside. 
Does that make sense? I think it's both. It's everything you said. Like, sometimes I wouldn't know that I was overreacting to the situation, but mm. I wouldn't know why. Oh, because, okay. like I say, I had repressed or I had, you know, so it wasn't always like I was trying to hide. I knew what I was trying to hide because I had pushed everything so far back and mm. I had just completely divorced myself from any of these memories or from the abuse being part of me. So, no, I mean, I just, that's why for so long I just thought I had anxiety or thought I had stress about this situation. Like I had a million other answers besides right. the real answer. Right, because you didn't remember. Well, and even when I did remember, even when I would have flashbacks of memories, because I've had memories all my life and things I've pushed aside, mm -hmm. I wouldn't go to it. I wouldn't right. at all. Like if even if I felt something, I would just as quickly get it out of my head as it came into my head. Oh, I know that feeling. And then <laughs> after that accident, yeah, and then after the accident, after the car crash, I couldn't do it anymore. They just wouldn't stop. And so, like, I think, like, with the pandemic, like, a lot of people were walking around or are walking around. You know, it's just, like you say, it's that next thing. It's their car crash. And so it's something that you weren't expecting that out of nowhere changes either your relationships or your financial status or your health status or all of the above. And so for some people, you know, they might be able to roll with that a little bit. For other people, that might have been the last thing they could take. And maybe their situation doesn't look that bad to you. You know, maybe you're like, wait, you're still working. You didn't get sick. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that it might have been, you know, the tenth thing that they were trying to manage and they just couldn't anymore. You don't know that by looking. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things that I got out of the book was what you had said about that you had events in your life that were far more traumatic than this car crash. But it was, right. was it, this was the thing that was the breaking point. And I think that for me was so many people live in that well, I've been in that place that oh, sure, well this yeah. is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me why am why is right. this my breaking point right why is this right. the thing that's causing me so much stress I've been through things that are a hundred times worse than this right that was huge for me in your book we do that to ourselves with everything right you know like or if, if even sometimes when we get upset we think like oh you know well somebody has it worse than me you know and we put ourselves in this torture cycle or you know I've been through worse so this shouldn't hurt rather than right. just allowing ourselves to experience what it is because the fact of the matter is is telling yourself that something shouldn't hurt doesn't take away from the fact that it hurts right you and know but and then I, you know, I, I use the illustration throughout my life of, you know, you can, you can sweep it under the rug until one day you're going to trip on it. And, right. Exactly. You know, and that, and I think that that's, that, that hit me with that, that, you know, you can only do that so long. And as you said, the, the pain is the pain. And, and if you, I was having a conversation last week with a, with a trauma therapist and we were talking about the, the difference between guilt and shame. Cause that was another thing in your book. I think that is pretty powerful we all have things that we're we have shame around and not understanding that the difference and that shame is about not being able to fix it you know i mean that's kind of the, by definition that you don't think you can fix it you don't think that you can heal from it you think that you're permanently broken and there is no solution to it i think that was pretty powerful as well that so many of us have shame around things that we don't remember or we don't even we can't even really identify 
what those things are. I think that's what a lot of it for, for most of, you know, when I look around and I see how people sometimes treat each other or I think about, you know, the ways that we lash out at other people. I think so often we're not aware of why we do that. You know, we think it's about whatever moment in time. You know, we think, I'd like, I think I'm mad at you about this situation that just happened. But it's rarely about that situation that just happened, you know. But unless you've had a what most people would consider to be a major trauma or crisis that you remember, it's not like people go back to saying, like, you know what, there's this comment in third grade that bothered me and I never realized it, or whatever, <laughs> right, you know. Right. <laughs> but so often yeah. it is. <laughs> right, right. It might be, you know. Yeah, we, and, use, and the, the we use the illustration of the ketchup dispenser at McDonald's that, mm-hmm. you know, you can sign a million-dollar deal during the day and be on top of the world, and you go in and you flip out that the ketchup dispenser is empty. It's never about the ketchup. <laughs> Right. You know, right, it is right. all those 10,000 other things that led to that moment. And again, yeah, a lot of those, so many of those things that we're just not aware of or remember. And a comment at third grade, you're right. A lot of times that can snowball into something that at 50 is now a huge thing because you have just reaffirmed it your whole life. Right, and that's what it is, and that's, you're exactly right, you've, you've reaffirmed it your whole life, because maybe you didn't know how to deal with it, you didn't process it, or you didn't think it was a big deal, or you shoved it away then, and so, like, that, for me, was, you know, that's, when people ask me about my book, too, that's what I say, it's about me breaking those patterns, like, it really was about me looking at, okay, my abuse was horrible, several things I've went through in my life were horrible, but then I created these coping mechanisms you know, that I thought were keeping me safe, which they did it in that time and space. But after you're safe, you often hang on to those coping mechanisms, right? Because you feel like, okay, I have to keep this now because that kept me safe. And so over time, it becomes its own pattern that a lot of times is maladaptive, you know? So like when I felt bad for my abuse, it made me feel good to get external validation, like compliments or something like that, because it made it boosted my self-esteem back up. So that was a coping mechanism. Well, then at what point do I need those compliments to feel good because I have never felt good about myself because I was using the compliments to do that for me? We're talking to Dr. Cassandra LeClaire about her book, Being Whole. And I really wanted to kind of go in depth with you about that because when does it become part of your personality, do you think? When you say coping mechanisms, we do those, and I think at some point, we just don't even realize that it's a coping mechanism as much as we think it's just part of our personality or our quirky right. things. Oh, and we probably defend it to the death that exactly. that's who we are, and that's how yeah. we're doing it, and that's how our parents did it, and that's why... <laughs> I cut else. the ends off the hand. I think the so, harder you defend it, the more you can realize that it's a... So if you when want to we talk, talk about, about that. that, yeah, when we talk about the coping mechanism, did you always realize it was a coping mechanism or did you have to, when you went into therapy or got help with that, that's when you realized it was a coping mechanism versus just part of your personality traits, if you will? I did not realize it until I started writing the book. It was until after uh-huh. the crash. Like I say, I journaled and I went, you know, I, I journaled and journaled and journaled. And so then, you know, as an academic, I'm also kind of a research nerd. So <laughs> I'm reading my journals. And I, so I basically did a, a data analysis on my journal is how my book, that's what my book is. Uh, and wow, so okay. I read my, I read my journals and I was like, oh, 
this is what this is. Mm-hmm. It was an eye-opening because the same themes kept coming up. So the themes are what became the chapters of the book. Oh, okay. Are the themes from my journal. Okay. So I would be like, oh, I have a problem with self-worth. I wouldn't have told you that. <laughs> like, I, it's like, oh, I think I'm unlovable. Oh. You know, so it was like this. I didn't realize it. No, I just thought I was like defensive about this or maybe I had commitment issues for this reason or whatever. You know, you make up the story that you want to have rather than being like, okay, this is a pattern. How am I contributing to this pattern? Why do I feed into this? But no, it was a complete, complete basically stripping down myself, looking at myself in the mirror and being like, this is, these are your patterns and here's what you're doing. And sometimes still I'll pick up my book and I'll read some sentences and I almost wince because Mm. I'm like, yeah, that's so real because it's, it's still part of my life. It's some of it is still things that I'm going to, you know, always work through because they are just so ingrained in you over time. You know, the things that you go back to, the things that you tell yourself, the stories that you, you know, like even things, think about people who say like, oh, I work best under pressure. I can't get stuff done unless it's right at the deadline. Okay, well, I say stuff like that too. It's like, well, maybe that's true to a certain extent, but to what extent is that true? Because now you've created that narrative and that's the way you work and that's the way you've chosen to do it. Oh, you I know? think this is so, valuable for somebody yeah. to know. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, I if you sit there and you think about it, how many people do not realize it was a coping mechanism and just now a personality trait? I think that's huge for people to understand. Absolutely. So doing that changed my life. I saw my patterns, and I was like, okay, these are things I can work on, or these are ways. It, it helped me also recognize my triggers. So I was like, okay, Ooh. when I have this, these issues about failure, when, when, it, when do I feel those things? What are the situations that make me feel that way? And, and what does it look like for me? And so it also, it helped me, you know, when those feelings came up to see if there were certain situations, sometimes it was certain people. And then I had to work through that with them, you know, or change that relationship. And so it taught me so much about myself, writing this book did. And that's, I mean, that's how it became a book. I didn't set out for it to be a book. Keeping my journals and analyzing my journals is what became the book. And it's, like I say, it's changed my life looking at things this way. Out of the read of my reading of your book that I think that you had said when you felt the safest is when you would kind of run the hardest. Those are kind of my words. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Uh, that, yeah. that you wanted to feel safe, but the more you felt safe with a person or a place or a situation or whatever, that that scared you so much. You're so afraid of what you want or need the most. Can you talk about that? Your book said a lot better than I just did, but can you explain that? So I think that for me, you know, one of the ways that this obviously manifests is in my relationships, or it did, especially in my my romantic relationships. And I write about one in particular in my book where I, you know, as much as I wanted to be loved, you know, I talk about this theme of unlovable. My abuser told me no one would ever love me, you know, so then all I wanted was to be loved and to prove that I was lovable. But then at the same time, when people would, would love me, you know, significant others, romantic partners, as much as I wanted that, it felt terrifying to me because I didn't also know what to do with it. Or I was worried that it would come with some sort of strings attached 
or that they weren't really knowing who I was enough to love me for me because I felt like I didn't know what that was in some ways. Mm. So in so many ways, everything that I wanted or I felt was going to make me feel safe when I would get it and I didn't and I still felt anxious and unsafe sometimes, then I thought that there must be something wrong with it, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So yeah. say I can also only really see that now in retrospect. I couldn't see that in the time. Because in the time of experiencing it, you know, in the time of experiencing it, I was just like, Oh gosh, why I'm stressed out. I don't feel good. I don't like this. This isn't making me happy. So obviously it's bad, something's wrong. And, you know, I would think like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And a lot of times I would sabotage relationships. But more often what I would do then is I would just stop kind of opening up in a lot of relationships. I would just kind of stop pursuing them and just kind of leave, essentially, you know, like just stop talking to people. <laughs> well, now, did you feel that it in your relationships as well that you put, put them in like silos like you did your life? Were your coping mechanisms actually carrying over into your relationships just as well? Because it would make sense that you're doing that in your professional life as much as you would do it in your personal life to me. I think one of the things too, like that really impacted my relationships was just that as much as I would want to be close to people and have them, you know, learn more about me, I felt like I was always guarding so much of myself. Like I just had like walls up that I wasn't even necessarily aware of. And so I might be open with you. I might tell you all of these things, but yet I wasn't necessarily showing you who I truly was either. Mm, And so I think, again, that's true of any self-disclosure, right? Like a lot of times you, you might know a lot about somebody, but not really know who they are. Or you might have other people where you feel like you know them really deeply, but you can tell you know you can tell me much about them in terms of you know what they like or something like that you know so I think it was one of those things where I got really I got really guarded with you know telling somebody about a lot of even talking about my anxiety or or things like that you know I wouldn't want to tell people about those things because if they would start asking me too many questions or really start asking me about things I would just get so upset and I wouldn't always know why so then it would be back to that reaction that doesn't match the situation. And then mm. I would just feel crazy. And I would, cause I would know it wasn't right. I would know, I'm like, okay, I know I'm like spinning out right now, or I know I'm overreacting, but I don't know why. So this just m- must be who I am. Why am I so irrational? What is wrong with me? Why am I crazy? Like it was that whole spiral cycle. That's what I would do. Man, I, so I, I became, gotta tell you, that just sounds tough. like it would, yeah, yeah tough just tough and so it became easier just to not do that like i'll just let you talk about yourself and i'll be a great listener i'll be here for you i'll insert my little anecdotes so people would think that they would know me really well because i would know them really well right so yeah, yeah as long yeah. as you were asking questions to them then nobody was going to ask you anything and people like right. to talk so about themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> well, and I must say, I think that your um, profession probably helped you out tremendously yeah. in that. You know, as a communication specialist, sure. you know, you knew exactly how to work those angles. So, well, there's probably right. a reason for, sure. for that too. That you know, we, yeah, we get into it, things that help us that? deal with our life and our our issues. So, sure. 
And do you find that? Do you, well, were you naturally uh, geared, or I should say, moved to that because of that reason? Well, I always say that I, it's interesting. I feel like I, I teach people to use their voices because I didn't know how to use my own. It's kind of what oh. you know, how, how I say it. Because it, it's so interesting, too, if you look at the classes I teach and the way that I teach. You know, I've been teaching about, you know, boundaries and abuse and communication and getting out of toxic relationships and, like, all of these topics that I talk about in my book. So I knew how to talk about them to others. I knew how to help others. I knew how to listen to others and to, you know, really teach in, in a powerful way. But I wasn't doing that for myself because I wasn't going back to any issues that I really needed to apply that stuff to. And so I think, like, the academic aspect for me was the safe way to read about things that resonated with me. I knew I was helping other people. So in some ways, that was, like, making me feel good. But that also is a coping mechanism, right? Like, so it makes me feel good to help other people. So I'm just going to go over here and do that, but then I'm not going to deal with my own stuff. Mm. And so that was something also I had to peel back that layer and be like, all right, what, what, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. No, I, wow. I mean, and that, I, when you're talking about somebody's life like that, it's just, it's peeling that onion back one layer at a time. Does it give you strength now to know that you knew where that was all going? Like I say, it was life-changing just because even now when I have triggers or when I have anxiety or when I feel some of these things coming up, I recognize it. I know what it is, and I feel so powerful because even if it gets me upset, I'm like, oh, I know what this is, and I know how to handle this, and that is power. You know, and I think about, you know, my coping mechanisms before, these patterns before coming up, creeping up, making me feel anxious, making me feel shameful, you know, and I look at now, like, they don't have that power over me anymore. They don't, they don't get to take that piece of my happiness. And so my book, when I talk about how I feel peace and freedom now, it's just even like internally, back to that internal mechanism I was talking about, like, I just feel overall less stressed. I just do. Well, I would imagine, especially not even knowing where that was coming from. And then, boy, that realization, the day that you figured that out. And then, because in your book, you talked about your mom coming, I think it was, what, three times before you actually Uh told her. Uh And that's your safe place. The bravery that came in that moment. To actually know that you're going to actually say this out loud. And, you know, again, that, that must be... Uh, liberating later, I would imagine. Not liberating at the time. Because I would think that you would have had to feel shame. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Because when we feel shame or guilt or it manifests into that fear and then that manifests into anger. Because that's our go-to thing. When we're angry, it's because we're fearful and we're somebody's going to know what we're thinking or what we're feeling. And we're going to put that wall up, right? So when you actually started to analyze your feelings and going through this in your journal and you're finding out that these things, that you still feel shame and you still feel guilt and you still feel these things, but now you have different tools to work with. So when you were feeling the, the shame come on or w- whatever that might be, uh, how do you cope with those things now? When you go, I'm feeling shame. So let me stop, or how, how, do you, how do you cope with that now? I'm really big into 
into feeling your feelings. One of my mm-hmm. favorite things is, you know, feel your feelings, don't become them. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, like, so I can feel that anger, but I don't have to become an angry person with it. I don't have to take oh. that anger. But, but if I don't first feel that feeling, if I don't allow myself to feel that shame and say, like, okay, yeah, I got to sit with this a second. Why am I feeling this? Where does it come from? I, I try to trace it back. You know, because it, that also helps me, okay, instead of just saying, like, oh, I feel angry or I feel shameful, do you know why? Like, can you pull, trace it back to a trigger? Can you trace it back to a thing? Because for me, that's powerful, too, right? If you can figure out where it comes from and you can figure out that that, to me, helps you neutralize it a little more. But so if I don't do that and if I just let my anger, I don't want to deal with it, I don't want to feel it, I'm going to become that anger somewhere else. So when I say feel your feelings, don't become them, it's like I have to sit with that. So even now, yep, if something makes me anxious, and and one of the things that happens, you know, I, I have two kids, they're high schoolers now, <laughs> is one of the things for me, the biggest things about writing this book is teaching me to name those things and to say it. So you're still going to feel shameful, you're still going to feel angry or blaming or guilty or whatever, right? Or I'm going to feel anxious. But now that I know how to name it and sit with it, and I can, I can tell it to other people. So if I tell my kids, look, I'm, ha- I'm having a moment right now. I'm having some anxiety. So right now this is not about you. But if you talk to me right now, it's, you're going to feel like it's about you. Ah, <laughs> you know, like, okay. Like right. that because I know I'm not in a place where I can be ha- give any other emotion other than the one I haven't dealt with. And that's what I think you see in people is they have an emotion they haven't dealt with and they don't want to mess with it or they don't want to think about it. They don't want to deal with it. And so it comes out everywhere else instead of, you know, them being able to sit with it and go, go back through it. And so, yeah, I have moments I cry a lot. (laughs) I think that's healthy though. I think it's good to let it out, but some of it is just really sitting with those feelings instead of trying to push them away because we don't we don't want to feel uncomfortable or bad or icky so we push those things aside and I think we teach kids to do that unfortunately you know don't cry it'll be okay you'll get over it here's a piece of candy or whatever we do right we just try to get them to feel happy again instead of teaching them the tools and giving them those tools to really say like I'm sorry you're hurting what is that what does that feel like you know and and you know how can we talk about this or how can we help you acknowledge what you are experiencing right now instead of teaching you to push it aside in search of something better you know what that's so true i that's a very good point because i don't know how many times i mean even with my nieces and nephew when they were younger it's like no don't cry (laughs) so yeah no that's very true well and i think there's so many people that can't identify what they're feeling at any, at any moment, really. Oh, I think right. that's absolutely 100% true. That and as you y- said, then it comes out in all kinds of different ways or different behaviors. You know, we talk about the tip of the iceberg and that, you know, 20% is out of the water, 80% is in the water, but it's the 80% that, that gets you to do the 20% that is your behavior. But and we don't understand a lot of times what people are going through because I don't think they understand what they're going through. And I agree. No, I agree completely. That and at least you had the capabilities, the forethought, the training that to actually kind of start analyzing that. And I think that that's excellent advice for people to do to journal, to start kind of breaking that down into smaller sections. And you know, your book being whole will actually 
you know, give you some kind of guidelines, I would imagine, to start that process. And for you, when you did start feeling all these things and you started to actually analyze them and start actually letting it go, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Uh -huh. That may not be the best way. Did you have an aha moment? Was it that, oh man, this is it. I can finally let this go. Was there, was there a part in that or is that still a work in progress? It was so strange. I, like I say, I never knew that that was a book when I was writing all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's when, when I went back and I saw all the patterns and I started naming the patterns and then I really felt this calling, for lack of a better word, that I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with this. And so just even saying that, I kind of get teary because mm -hmm. it felt like that yeah, see, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay. Like, that was the why. And that's what made me let it go. Is I was like, this is why I had to get to this point. This is why I had to go through everything I went through so that I could do this. I know that some people think that sounds really cheesy or, you know, and even the fact that I'm getting all emotional about it, but that's how... Not anybody that listens to our show. <laughs> it is to we my talk, core We talk about that all the time. We, we've done yeah. several shows on the concept of the illusion of separation, that, that that it is just an illusion, that we are all interconnected and and that things happen for a reason and when they're supposed to happen. I mean... And just, I mean, just this, right? You did a TED Talk, and I think you said you did it, like, back in February. Somebody randomly sent yeah. it to me. I contacted you, right? You sent me the book, and I was just like, wow, this is powerful. People need to read this book. Even if your issue isn't that, you know, you were, you were sexually assaulted as a kid, everybody got something, and mm -hmm. everybody's broken in a way, and we all have shame around some things that we don't want to deal with and we don't want to feel our feelings and all the things you talk about in your book. And we're big on the perception of failure, that failure is just a perception. And I thought that chapter in your book really illustrated that well, too, that if you have a perception of yourself around shame, that you're not lovable and that you're, you have to prove something, then failure is going to be so much bigger for you. Uh, in general, than it is going to be for somebody else because your perception of yourself that you are a failure then is just reiterated throughout every other area of your life. And so, yeah, I, we completely embrace that in, in this show that there's there's a reason why we're sitting here doing this today that whoever, whenever is going to hear this needs needs to hear it. And I think everybody, just like I think we should get a tax break for going to therapy and everybody would go. I think everybody needs to read your book. Oh, I think so too. Because <laughs> everybody can get something out of it. I think it is so well written and you say it so plainly and simply and it's so easy to understand in you explaining your story that you go into far more depth in your book of the specifics of, yeah, wow, okay, I do that. Or, yeah, a pattern. what patterns do I have? I, I think that is extremely powerful. Well, thank you again, because I just, like I say, I, I think that that's what now helps me. You know, you asked, too, if it was a process or if it was continual, and it is for me. Like, I think healing is such a continual process, and I think now for me, having the book out there, having my talk out there. Every time I see those things, I'm still surprised that it's real because I kept it all in for so long that now now it's like, oh yeah, I did that. And so that's also continued healing for me. 
continued empowerment. You know, every time I get to go and share this or talk about it, it is, it's reinforcing and reaffirming to me that I had the strength to do that. And I think that that's what people, what I want to encourage people, you know, who maybe are afraid to, you know, to dig into some of their stuff is that the fear and the anxiety that we have that prevents us from, from really getting in there and really working on our own issues, that is so much worse than actually going through it and getting rid of that fear and anxiety. And I think that, you know, another thing that we do is that we, again, we, we almost have shame around our shame. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if, if this wasn't that bad, you know, because I had somebody who reached out to me who was like, well, people will apologize to me. They'll say, oh, I, I haven't had anything as bad as you, but sometimes I just don't talk very nicely to myself. And I'm like, that is a thing. You know, you don't have to apologize that you didn't go through what I went through because whatever you have experienced is your lived experience, right? And that is valuable and that that's what made you who you are. And so I think sometimes again we we're constantly comparing ourselves to others or thinking that we should have gotten through something or that something isn't so bad instead of just allowing ourselves whatever you feel about, you know, your experience is valid are you happy with the way those things make you feel? And if you are, that's wonderful. But if you're not, what does that look like for you? And it doesn't, it doesn't have to look like what it looks like for anybody else either. And I think that's a very valid point because sometimes we feel like that it's a race to the bottom that, you know, well, I, I wasn't as bad as I'm not that person or that I didn't have that happen to me. So I shouldn't feel this way. You know, if I had something uh, traumatic like, you know, sexual abuse or something in my past, I think I, sh I would have every right to feel that way, but I didn't. You know, my dad just, mm -hmm. you know, didn't talk to me or whatever the case may be. So it's not a race to the bottom. It's you feel what you feel when you, it, as you feel it. So, you know, whether, whether or not it's one thing or another, I think you should get those things out. Exactly, because whatever it is, you know, that's the thing is my my kids and I will talk about um, everybody wants to have a tragic backstory. And I, I bring up, like, you know, think about reality reality television, you know, when you you know you get to know somebody and then you're always waiting, like, at some point in the season or whatever, they, they come out with whatever their tragic backstory was. And it's like we've become that way as a, a society, right? It's like we have to prove how stressed out we are. We have to prove how upset we are. So, like, we're trying to do that while we're also simultaneously trying to prove how strong we are. Mm -hmm. So then people will take that and be like, and I say that in, like, in my TEDx talk, too. It's just like we applaud ourselves for how strong we are. We're like, oh, no, I just get through stuff or I don't let stuff bother me or, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal because I can handle it. And we make it seem like that's a good thing when so often it's not. It's just a cover again so we don't have to deal with the things because if we had dealt with it and we admitted that they made us feel sad or anxious or whatever, then we view that as weak so often, especially, you know, not to throw men under the bus, but if we're going to gender things, <laughs> like, you know, it's historically, true. but, you know, but think about how that is. You know, I, I love, I love how we complain that, you know, males don't express their emotions, but hello, we've kind of gendered them that way their whole life too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, boys in particular, we tell them, don't cry. You know, they get called names if they express emotion. And they're taught that it's, you know, manly to be stoic. 
and then they get to adulthood and they don't know how to express themselves and they don't, you know, is it any wonder why they weren't taught that? And so, I don't know. I Like I say, this goes deep for me. Right. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's fair because I think that when we're sitting over here talking about, again, being whole, that's what we're talking about is that you've got to sit, pick up those little pieces that maybe you weren't whatever whatever insert that here and you know so then that way you can learn to express that and yes you're absolutely right we do teach not to cry not to feel not to show emotions and we teach to deflect Mm. definitely we we teach from very early age to deflect that it's Mm -hmm. it's not going to stick on me and it's not you know we're just going to and we're going to compare and right. so when yeah. we compare, it's very easy to deflect when we can compare. Well, and I think it's really important, at least for my takeaway with this conversation, is the coping mechanism that you've turned into your personality traits. Right. So when we're sitting over here talking about somebody gets up there and they say, well, you know what, this happened to me, but I'm okay. I've learned to deal with it. I can move on. Well... Now I've got to think, maybe that's your coping mechanism uh, right. speaking and not your personality speaking. You know, so I think that that is invaluable for people to know. That you may act the way that you act due to a coping mechanism that you have turned into or morphed into what you so call your personality. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a great takeaway. Yeah, definitely. And it, so being whole and picking up the pieces... Are we saying that your mosaic, if you will, of picking up your pieces is one day at a time? And do you do you think that you have gotten your pieces all put together, or is that always still a work in progress? And do you think it's always going to be a work in progress? I think there's going to keep being new pieces. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> in our twenties, so we're so. a three hundred piece puzzle, and our our sixties, yeah. we're a thousand. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm learning is that I'm always finding new, deeper ways that, you know, so it's like maybe I just crack the surface with my book, but I'm always going to continue back to those deeper layers and those, you know, how those pieces continue smoothing over the edges a little bit more, I guess, maybe of all the pieces. There you um, go. Always about polishing, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, on the cover of my book, it's a Kintsuji pottery bowl. And what that pottery is basically is it's, it's pottery that's been broken, but it's put back together with gold because the idea is that you can be stronger than you were before you were broken. Oh, and I really, and I didn't know about that pottery before I wrote the book, mm-hmm. but when I told three separate people about my concept for my book and what I was writing, three different people who don't know each other on three separate occasions brought up that pottery. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what this is. And so I think, like, in answer to your question, I do think I'm, I'm probably going to break again. You know, I might do that, but now I look at it as a way I know I can rebuild myself. I know I can be stronger than I was before, and I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm not afraid of that spiral or of that breaking or of that stress because I know that I'm stronger now than I was before. And, like, so even bringing it back to the pandemic, had I not written my book, had I not healed the way I have more now, 
I would have been, I know I would have been a mess. I've even asked my kids. I've said, like, can you imagine if we would have had to go through this before? And they're like, no. <laughs> well, well, yeah, the stay-at-home but, orders no, of people getting being trapped and the masks, the uh, people, you know, you 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 right. you see people that are throwing such a fit over having to wear a mask. That has to go back to something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yep, yep. Right. And so just, like, even that, like, so just knowing that I've healed more deeply brought me out of the last several months in a different place than if I hadn't done all that work. And so now I even have reframed what that is to me. It's like, okay, no, I'm willing to do the work. Okay, if something bad happens to me, I'm going to figure it out because I know how much stronger I feel after. Whereas before, I I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to deal with anything because it was just, it was hard. It was stressful. I was too tired, whatever the reason. Well, I think in your book, you talked about that you had been to therapy multiple times prior to uh, and still hadn't identified and you were getting treatment. And I think that was significant too, that, you know, you can still, you think, okay, I'm going to therapy, I'm working on this. And you're not even really working on the same issue because you, you hadn't, you hadn't processed that yet or to a point where it was on the surface yet. Exactly. Yeah. That was powerful. And again, thank you, Dr. LeClaire for joining us, talking about your book, Being Whole. It's a fantastic book. Uh, go out there, find it, but where can people find it so they can get their own copy? You can go to my website, CassandraLeClaire.com, Being Whole. Um, is a tab there, and I have all of the links where you can find it. It's an ebook, it's a paperback, it's an audiobook. So you can go there. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Cassandra LeClaire. And definitely reach out to her because I, you also do workshops and uh, things of that nature and you're a motivational speaker. Well, thank you again so, for doing that with us. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fantastic to talk to you. It really was. It was. No, I had such a great time. Thank you again for asking me. This was wonderful. I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear the episode. It was a ton of fun. Well, we're about out of time for this show and a great interview. It's just a great interview. And Dr. Cassandra LeClaire, her book again is Being Whole, Healing from Trauma and Reclaiming Your Voice. You said it was a definitely a good read. I'm going to read it as soon as I have time to. And you said everybody should pick it up. I agree. Copy. I think that even if the story topic is not something that you've actually went through, I think anybody is going to be able to get something out of the book it's very well written. It's written in a way that uh, I think everybody can relate to her story because we're all broken, right? We all have something mm-hmm. and you can just replace her something for your something and how we take those things with us throughout our life. And as you said, we are coping mechanisms. Then we, we start to believe that, no, this is just who I am. Right. No, this is not just who I am. This is how I've learned to cope with something that I've never really learned how to cope with. Anyway. And that book is very eye-opening on some of those things. It's very, very well done, and I highly recommend everybody to read it. I agree, because I got to tell you, that was the most eye-opening part of this interview for me. So. Yeah. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.